Content Lab is brought to you by Scripted. From personal experience, I know Scripted has the copywriters and freelancers you need to bring your content marketing strategies to life. Learn more at scripted.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Content Lab Podcast. And today I am selfishly very excited because our guest today is not only someone I work with, it is a dear, she's a dear friend. Um, who has been making some seriously strong content moves uh, in the past six months or so. So I want to say hi to Bree. Hooray. Hello, Bree. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. So for the people at home, who are you? What do you do? So I'm Bree Ranghell. I am the VP of services here at Impact. And what I do, that's the hardest question for me to answer because it's really, uh, it, it depends on what the company needs at the time, but my overall responsibilities are running the agency side of the business for impact, including our revenue expenses, the people, the products that we put out. And so that encompasses a lot of things. And so that's why I can never really answer that super succinctly, but that is my role. I always find, I always struggle with that too. Um, I was a guest on a, on a different podcast yesterday for impact. I'm not going to say which one, but I was, <laughs> um, and they asked me what I did. And I said, you know, I'm the director of web and interactive content. And I gave kind of the boilerplate answer, mm-hmm. podcast and shows and long-term editorial strategy. And then I said, but really <laughs> sometimes it's just me being the teacher talking to people and being like, no, I need your homework. No, I understand you're going to tell me that your dog ate it, but your dog didn't need it, and I still need your homework, you know? Right. Like, a really nice way that makes people not need me. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like the behind-the-scenes impact person. Like you, you, Well, that's changing. That's what we're going to talk about today. But for the most part, for the longest part, I've been in the background just doing what needs to be done so that impact is a great place to work for our people and that our clients have a great experience. And so I've been really excited, as you called, making my content moves to really start talking about what I've been doing because I never really thought, we always position our, our strategists and all of the other people at our company as the rock stars of impact. And it's really neat to see how other people can have a voice too. Yeah. And this is what's interesting. So you and I started talking about your voice, which is really what we're going to be talking about today, which is making that transition to someone from someone who just creates content you know, because strategically, this is what we're told that we need to write to someone who really wants to develop their own voice or become a thought leader, that whole, I really wish there was another like term for it. Because whenever I say thought leader, it kind of makes my body seize. But yeah, we have a better one that isn't terrible. We're just going to say when you move into that thought leadership arena, and that's the thing you've been really doing over the past six months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've published some really incredible stuff that not just from a traffic and conversion perspective, but, you know, being nice at work doesn't hold, and, and as a leader doesn't hold you back or the, the myth, the toxic myth of fearless leadership. You've been putting out some stuff that is fairly powerful, you know, things that are really resonating with other people. And, and I'm seeing other agency owners and other people in the industry say, you know, these are the things that people should be talking about, which number one, A, you should be proud of. Yeah. And B, but you know, just a year ago, you were a co-host of Market Her, a podcast of impact, but I was looking back through your history and it's stuff like, you know, how to go to this marketing event, you know, how to use these different metrics. And right. what, the, what was the, the moment for you that you realized you kind of wanted to start talking about more? 
I think when I moved into a leadership role at Impact. So before I was a strategist, that's how I started at Impact. And so what I wrote about were marketing things and things that I, I was genuinely researching and cared about myself because it impacted my job. And then as my job changed, I, I didn't know what to write about. And I didn't exactly know where I could provide value in Impact's content strategy. The, and at the time, we didn't really have a whole lot of leadership articles on the site. So I didn't see that as a path for myself until I really started thinking deeply, maybe about a year ago, of what I wanted my brand personally to be, which I hate saying that. You, you hate thought leader. I hate saying personal brand. But just my perception out there in the world, what I wanted it to be. Do I want it to be about market her, which is more about like women empowerment? I didn't think that was all of what I wanted to say. That's not all of who I wanted to speak to. Mm -hmm. But I just didn't quite know where to go after that. Until I started meeting with you. Did yeah. you help me with that? Well, I, I, yes, we have a meeting and talking. And that, that is always really exciting when I get into these types of coaching relationships, you know, where you, I can't remember, I can't remember how it happened. I think you and I were just having beers like a couple, a few months ago while we were up in Connecticut and we just started talking about it. Yeah. I, I started my usual line of unsolicited, intrusive questioning. <laughs> like, is that what you really want to do? Is that what you really want to be talking about? Which occasionally happens. Like for the most part, like 90% of the time I can keep my mouth shut. But then there's that 10% of the time where I'm like, I'm just going to go right into it and see what happens. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did because I, I have always, maybe not always, since m late 20s, I wanted to be somebody who could be a thought leader, who could be someone who would go and speak somewhere. And when I was only doing marketing strategy type things, I never felt confident in that. Like, I knew my my field and I was a practitioner of marketing, but I never thought I'd be somebody who would invent a new strategy or own how to speak about SEO. And I was also always afraid that somebody would call me out if I ever did try to speak about that. And so I, I didn't, I, I'm sure I could have gotten over that, but it didn't feel right. And it didn't feel like what, it, what I would own as a leader and some kind of space. And I, I think it took till my thirties to really start to hone in on where I add value and where my career is going to go. And then when you and I started talking, I think I shared that I, I wanted to be a speaker. We do Impact Live on our events. And I was like, I don't know what I would even talk about. I have no idea. And I remember you and we were talking with you and Chris Dupre, our COO. You both looked at me like I was insane. Oh. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, talk about all the stuff that you do right now. And I never, I, honestly, you, you mentioned the articles that I wrote that were powerful. I had no idea that they would be powerful because it was just my day-to-day -day life. And I just didn't think people would care about it until I really put it out there. You know, that's what's interesting. I always say this, but, you know, when people really start making this transition, you know, when they really start trying to find a way to not just be an authority on a topic, but to have a singular voice that people find memorable, where somebody reads something and they say, oh my God, that's me. It usually comes from people who say, I don't have a story to tell, or this is only interesting to me, or, you know, some version of, but this is not really that exciting. It's just my day to day. Mm -hmm. and the thing is, is that those are the things I think we don't talk about enough. You know, when I look at a lot of the stuff I see out on the internet about leadership, it's always the same stuff over and over again. It's super aspirational, super detached from reality, you know? Yeah. 
Or there are these people who are, you know, who are leaders who have a lot of great things to say and share, but they've been in the game for a very long time, which I think, you know, for people of our generation who are now moving out of the coordinator and manager roles into director roles, into VP roles, now moving into the C-suite, we live in a very different time. Mm-hmm. And things are very different now. I mean, we live in a time now where the line between work and life is very blurry, especially for people like us who work from home. Right. So the stories are different, you know, and I think there's yeah. a, there's more of a willingness to embrace emotional vulnerability at a level when I don't think it was considered very sexy or appropriate, you know, years ago. Oh, that's actually why I wanted to do market her. The original podcast that I was on because I was researching things about women and communication styles. I'd gotten a lot of feedback from my mentors that I wasn't aggressive enough or assertive enough. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I will never be aggressive, okay? I don't want to be aggressive. And sure, I could be more assertive, but how do I do that without coming across a certain kind of way because I'm a woman, like being too too bold or something? And so I was researching stuff, and this was a few years ago. I've, I've, I've changed my opinion on a lot of this since then. But as I researched, I found all these articles that were, it was the same article over and over and over. Like, you need to quit being nice. You need to be assertive. You need to be aggressive. And I, it infuriated me. It wasn't just like, this is boring advice, but it was, it pissed me off, which is why I wanted to do a show in the first place, dispelling how women could communicate in the office. And so, but that grew into, it's not just women, like it's everybody. And there's all kinds of myths that we encounter, especially when I moved into a leadership role reading articles that trying to get advice on something I was struggling with in the moment. And it was all just surface level dumb advice to where I just decided it helped me through this whole process to decide this is the kind of thing I want to write about because I I'm experiencing it. I'm sure somebody else is even just one person. If I can write something that helps them, then I feel great. Yeah. And, and going back to that particular article, cause that was kind of like, your coming out party. <laughs> so yeah. just, you know, that was the first time where you're like, this isn't about a keyword strategy. This is about my story. Mm-hmm. And to just bring people quickly up to speed who may not have read it, you talk about a time during a leadership team meeting where somebody called you nice in a way that it was perceived as a negative. Yeah. And it really took you to a place. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we had just had Marcus Sheridan. He, we merged companies with him, and he joined our leadership team meeting as, as part of that. And he had recognized that as a team, we could do a lot better at communicating and also challenging each other, which I completely agree with. But in the moment, I heard when he was challenging that I was being, he called me sweet, like you're, you were really sweet today. And what he was trying to say was along the lines, like you could have challenged more, like it was feedback, mm-hmm. but what instead it just made me upset because we didn't actually know each other that well at that point. And so I interpreted it as like, you think I'm weak. Like you just called me sweet, weak little girl, wallflower in this leadership meeting that really didn't contribute anything. And so that's what set me off in this tailspin of, you know, why, why can't it be nice? Like, why can't I just not challenge somebody? It doesn't mean I don't have a, like, it means I agreed with them. That's why I didn't challenge them. And so I, and I don't feel like I need to talk just to add noise and say, I agree. I agree to that too. Like, I'm going to talk when I feel like I have something to say. And he didn't know that at the time of how, that's how I am. But that's really what got me thinking about the earlier experience when I was researching about women communication 
this experience of being called night or sweet in a way that didn't really, I felt like it mislabeled how I was acting is what prompted me to really explore that topic. Were you surprised by the reaction that your article got? Yeah. First of all, I was nervous about Marcus. Like I had to talk to him. I sent it to him ahead of time. I was like, Hey, I'm going to kind of call you out in this article. Is that okay? And he loved it. He was like, yes, do it. Um, which is so great about that. Cause he wants, he just wants people to be real. And so that was my first nervousness. And then I, I just thought people, it was like an article I could put out there. I thought maybe some people would like it. Some of the people that followed market her at the time, I thought sure, like some of them would like it. I did not expect it to have as much impact as it did. And it actually, it took me completely by surprise. What were some of the reactions that you got? If you don't mind my asking, I only saw a little bit of it, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. people reaching out to you directly, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I got Facebook messages directly. I got LinkedIn messages, which nobody ever writes me on LinkedIn unless it's a sales thing. So <laughs> that was pretty cool to see people. And it was mainly what they said, that just, I've been feeling like this. I've been feeling like I needed to change my personality. I have a work personality and a home personality. And I recognize I don't need to have two different lives. I can have one and be myself in both places. And then um, just the idea, I thought maybe some, some people like it. The fact that I helped a lot of people, it was almost, it made it addicting at that point of, I want to have that feeling again and again. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel like I'm starting to find some purpose, like more purpose with my career than just the people I talk to on a day-to-day -day basis. How could I scale that and have better reach and help even more people? Yeah. And I didn't think that would happen with one article. So that was pretty cool. It, it's actually, so this is something really funny. There is a scientific explanation for what happens. It's something scientists call a helper's high because apparently we are altruistic and we know we're doing like, we know we are helping somebody. We get a helper's high because the same part of our brain that is activated by good food and to be quite frank, great sex is the same part of our brain that fires off when we're being helpful. Huh. So our brain is actually wired to be helpful. And be nice. And be nice. Exactly. That's but we great. We some, for some reason, we fight this nature, you know, because we're trained to think that helpfulness isn't profitable. It takes too much time. Like it's, it's distracting away from the bottom line and what we're really needing to be focused on. But that's how you actually become memorable. Like the moment you put yourself out there and you genuinely go out of your way to be helpful either by being you know, in your case, vulnerable in a way that I don't think a lot of people are willing to be, mm -hmm. that becomes something that sticks in people's brains. Yeah. Remember you as that person who made them feel less alone. Yeah. Which was great. And I think uh, the second piece that I'd written on fearless leadership, mm -hmm. I got similar feedback so again, maybe that, that high, but then also I had people that I, I had respected and followed in the inbound space since 2010 mm -hmm. commented and were like, uh, one in particular, like, this is great. Like leaders should be talking about this. I'm so glad you did. And the fact that like, McTighe. yes, yeah. like he called me, I was like, oh, I was like fangirling, like John McTighe, like my article. Oh my gosh, he knows my name. Like that's just super mm -hmm. neat. Like to, to have respect from people that I've respected for so many years was a great feeling. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Scripted. 
And with Scripted's new cruise control platform, you can create data-driven content strategies that get results with access to robust analytics. Learn more at scripted.com. about those two articles is that so the first one we were talking about you know being nice at work and as a leader doesn't have to hold you back at work and the toxic myth of fearless leadership you were vulnerable in two very different ways and the first one you you talked about a time that you were you were very hurt I mean you really I was so impressed with that introduction you wrote to it where you talk about the fact that you came your husband came home and found you crying in the kitchen and you were very upset yeah I told this whole story about how you got to that moment in with great clarity in detail but in a way that you know it's not like Ayn Rand's you know Atlas Shrug where it's like let's read 15 pages about trains like Mm -hmm. I don't want it was like it was great pacing but this other one you were vulnerable in a different way because it wasn't about something that happened to you it was about when you realize you made a mistake as a leader and you really put yourself out there and just for the whole world to say and say like I approached leadership incorrectly in this way. And this is what I learned from it. Mm -hmm. And how did you feel about that? Writing about that? I was actually most nervous writing that for our team because, and that's actually what I talk about a lot in the article is that as a leader, I felt like I needed to have this brave face and my team needed to see that everything was going to be, everything's fine. Everything's great. Bree's smiling. So we must be okay. And all that ended up doing was shooting me in the foot on a few occasions. But even as I was writing it, I was still nervous that my team was going to see a crack in, you know, behind the surface. And so that made me nervous. But actually, that was actually my favorite feedback was some of our teammates were like, I had no idea that that was happening, mm-hmm. which I could say, great, I was a really, really good fearless leader because you had no idea, but that wasn't good. And um, also some of our managers on our team were going through similar challenges and they expressed like, I, I didn't know that you were feeling that I feel a lot better because if you're feeling it, I don't feel as bad. Like it's a, it's something we all need to get over. So that was something that I really enjoyed from that piece. And then of course the outside feedback of other managers who realized I'm approaching this wrong. Mm -hmm. So how did you get through that fear of writing it? Hmm, that's a good question. I think in general, when I'm afraid of something, those are the times where I just dive into it. Like, just do it. And recognize that if I'm really afraid of it, it's either going to come out great, like it, it was meant to be, and it's a great challenge, or I'll fail, and I'll have something else to learn from and write about in the future. But I just needed to put myself out there and go for it. Yeah. So you don't regret doing that? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It's actually what I did not intend or think would happen is I didn't tell my parents any of this stuff either. I, I don't talk. Whenever they ask me about work, I'm like, that's fine. Because if I try to tell them a story, it's going to take me half an hour to like set it up and hear the people. <laughs> and I'll, you know. Let me tell you about search engines. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I didn't go into it and my husband knew and that was fine. And it, it wasn't affecting me every day. Like work is work. And after, after work, I was okay. Once I talked it out with my husband, so I didn't feel I need to confide in more people. And my parents read it and they were like, Brie, why didn't you tell us anything? We had no idea that you were struggling at work. And so then I realized like I hurt my parents feelings by not opening up to them. So it's, it taught me I probably should open up more 
outside of work as well, because again, I was putting on that everything's fine, everything's great, work is great. So even my family, and that that was not the greatest thing either. Has it has this experience over the past few months changed your view about content or how you approach it? Um, I feel like I have more meaning behind my content. It's not just I'm going to educate people and teach them about this marketing tactic. I can now affect people on a deeper level if I just get more real with what I'm talking about and share a story. I think I've also gotten better at structuring articles and just becoming a better writer in general, which has been helpful. Um, and then there's this, I forget what you call it. Your the canvas. Liz has a canvas that helps oh, you. Yeah. The grid. Yeah. Yeah. To figure <laughs> out. I think I always was pretty decent at telling a story, but I didn't always connect why you should care about it or how this can be helpful to you. And so I, I feel like I've developed a much better, stronger, stronger writing ability with that framework and just having stronger topic choice in the first place. Yeah, that's always a big challenge, especially when people start moving through it. You know, there's a difference between how you approach an article where you're starting with a story, which is usually what, once you start dabbling and moving into that thought leadership realm, you're more often than not going to be coming at it from a story perspective, as opposed to somebody has given you a long tail keyword or a topic and you write from there. Yeah. And usually the struggle there is, you know, you want to tell the story, but you don't have a grounded foundation to root it in to make it productive. Because for example, the reason, like the two articles that we've talked about of yours so far, so being nice at work and the toxic myth of fearless, fearless leadership, they only work because at some point you stop telling the story and you start talking about contextually what people can do with that story. Mm -hmm. you know, what is it, the what of what you're exactly talking about? And so yeah. what Bree's referring to is um, a helpful content framework I created where essentially it walks you through it's, it's not an outlining activity. It's not a writing activity. It's like a, I, I call it like a mental compass exercise where essentially you are orienting yourself and pointing your brain in the right direction so you know where you're going when you write. You know, it's how you get yourself pointed in the right direction with the right map. Yeah. You have to answer for everything that you're writing, the what, the who, the why, and the how. And so the way that you actually use that grid when you're telling a story, so for example, in your case, you know, the, the story of what happened with Marcus, you would start with your why, which is why me, essentially. And yeah. the why you in that case was, well, I have the story I want to tell. And then through some clarifying questioning, you just figure out, well, what is it exactly that you're talking about? And in this case, what you were really talking about is this myth that you can't be nice at work, that being nice is a, is a negative or a detractor if you want to get ahead or mm -hmm. be a leader. So and I'll share that in the show notes, but essentially at a high level, that's what that framework is. And it's just a little mental exercise. You can print out the worksheet or just take five minutes the way I do it, you know, and just really figure out like, what is it that you're actually talking about? Because I think that's the biggest challenge that I see with a lot of people who try to be thought leaders is that they get it right in that they need to be vulnerable. They need to go deeper. They need to be willing to say, Hey, here's a little bit of my humanity showing. Mm -hmm. They don't ground it in something productive. You know, the, if you don't ground it in something productive, that's how it becomes a rant. That's how it becomes, you know, just self-flagellation or, 
or, you know, just look at me. I'm so sad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like a, a diary of sorts, but I, I've had a lot of start and stops too. I, I know some leaders probably don't like writing. I've always loved writing. I was a journalism major where, where I'm struggling now is how to have visual presence. If I do uh, videos or speaking or things like that, that's something I got to learn. But writing has always been something that I love doing. I always had a blog on the side. I have a medium account. I write like my medium is written or shared with the mission. Like if you follow if you're on medium. So like that was, I've had some neat things, but I, I never looking back at my articles, I do not think they were as strong as they could be because I did not have the contextual why you should care about this personally part of my articles. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that a lot. What advice would you have for people who are trying to move into this space who either maybe scared or, or they're not sure where to start? I would, I can tell you how I started I, and it started with basic brainstorming um, and I was actually talking with Liz and uh, tout you again, but uh, I had a list. I just started with the list of things that I was excited about writing, things I was passionate about, things I was afraid of at work. So just what am I scared to even broach the subject about and things that I wish we had talked about as leaders or whatever your space is, things that are not talked about that should be. And so I started there and just listed out things that have bothered me, things that I love talking about. Self-awareness is something I really like talking about that. Um, and then from the most of my topics started actually from what I was afraid of because that was typically that paired with what's not being talked about. And that's where the fearless leadership came in and the being nice at work. And so that, that was like a really nice start for me just to figure out what that is and then working through just starting to write and seeing if I could tie it into that contextual why you should care about it side of things. And then from there, I really honed my voice. Another exercise that I did was I messaged 10 people that I knew and I asked them to please describe me in three to five words. And I did a mix of friends, family, coworkers, so I could get a feel for it. And then from all the words that I got back, I looked at similarities and it helped me pick five words that I would choose to say what my personal brand is and what should be exuded in the tone of my writing or anything. And that's also really helped guide how I write and check myself with my tone. Can we talk about the fact that one of your words is Texan and I love that and I want you to explain that to people because I think you're the only person I would ever let get away with Texan being one of their words. Yeah. So <laughs> I, you may not know cause I really don't have a strong accent. I did go to journalism school. They beat it out of you, but I do, I am from Texas born and raised. I have a Texas tattoo. I am obsessed with Texas. I love it. And I was brainwashed from birth. So I'm okay with that. And what I like about it and why you chose it as one of my words is I actually did get that from two people. They said I was a text. I was like, okay, I'm going to run with that. And to me, that really comes down to just friendliness, being humble. Even though we brag about Texas, we're humble and all other things. Um, mm-hmm. Hospitable, warm. It, that's to me what being Texan is like. Yeah. Um, I've been to Texas. And I remember one of the first places I went to, I don't know what restaurant it was, but it had like outside this huge mural. And I can't remember, oh my God, I wish I remember what it was, but it was in Dallas. 
<laughs> and on the side of the wall, like a huge, huge wall, like right near where you park, it was like, God loves America, but especially Texas. And <laughs> Texas, I'm like, this is the most Texas thing to have ever Texased. <laughs> yeah. We love Texas. I don't know why. It really, like we, every morning in school, you say the pledge of the United States. We also say the Texas pledge. We sang the... There's a Texas um, Oh, yeah. I think it's state required, or at least in my high school, we had to say it every day. And then we, in elementary school, would sing Texas songs every morning and some USA songs. But you're literally ingrained into loving Texas. You Wait, can't escape it. What's the Texas allegiance thing? I need to know this. I should actually know it. I have not said it in <laughs> 15 years. Bad Texan. Yeah, I forgot it. <laughs> I totally forgot it. But I do know our Texas song, like Deep in the Heart of Texas. I know. Yeah. So that's, it's just ingrained in you at birth. Wow. So that's not how it was where I grew up. Yeah. So I grew up in DC, which meant everybody's like, are you from DC? Really? It's like, yes, I'm, I'm from DC. My non-regional diction. You can't tell. Yeah. Um, and then I lived in Northern Virginia and the rest of Virginia will tell you that Northern Virginia has no business being a part of the rest of the state. And then I moved to Maryland where they just put the flag on everything and it's a snappy looking flag. You know, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's yellow and black and red. It's this really cool coat of arms pattern. And then they just literally put Old Bay on everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> like aggressively. Um, when I first started dating my husband, we first moved in together. Um, I remember the first day I was unpacking and I was stocking the pantry and I noticed that Patrick had like eight different types of old day. I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> And some of them were duplicates. So I'm like, I can pare this down a little bit. And I started throwing stuff in the trash and I just heard from the, from the side, stop what you're doing right there. <laughs> we just moved in together, but I will throw you out if you can do not take those out of the carpet. <laughs> and so for his birthday, I got him a giant table made of old bay canisters. Oh, that's perfect. I know. He's still, I, he's still trying to one-up me on that. I'm like, you never will. I will always be best spouse. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. So, so you, you and I were just talking about the fact that, you know, people, when they're getting started, what advice would you have for someone who's scared to get vulnerable, to go to those places? By allowing yourself to be vulnerable and get deep, you experience a lot of personal growth while you do it. And I'd hate for someone to shortchange themselves from that experience, as well as the message that you put out there for others who also grow, you'd really be missing out on that. And so that's not helpful advice. It's just a mind shift I think you got to make. How do you keep yourself from crossing that line though? Because there is a difference between, you know, like you've made some jokes, which I always think are really funny. You're like, I promise I don't just spend my time crying. And then you talk about actual productive things. Yeah. How do you keep yourself from crossing that line of, you know, you can only traffic in so much vulnerability before it becomes, it, it becomes, it comes off as like an affect or a gimmick. I, I like how we approached my content was thinking of it as each article as a chapter in a book. Not that this is going to, I'm going to turn these into a book, but if every single chapter was like a Disney movie that just like, it's gut wrenching, that's exhausting. Like I wouldn't even want to finish that book. 
-hmm. I feel like there's got to be a good mix between those really deep, uh, nobody talks about this vulnerable moments, but also other things that you've learned where I've also published an article about self-awareness being a number one indicator in the hiring process. I didn't cry while I was hiring people. Like, it was just something I've noticed. That'd be funny that you get on an interview and somebody's like, hi, reader. Like, hello. I'm so glad to meet you. (laughs) But it's, it was something that I identified as helpful for other leaders to know. And so I can balance what I write about. So it's not always these really, really deep pieces. It's also helpful advice. And so I, I think you got to check yourself if you were to put all your content together, every single thing is super, super deep and you're upset in every article. You're kind of, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer type person after a while. So it's about finding that balance and making sure you're right. talking holistically about the things that you do. Right. I, the two times I think I mentioned I cried are the only two times I cried at work last year. Like I wrote about them because that was the, something that I knew would be meaningful to share, but it's not like I do that every day. And there's a lot of other things that I do that are helpful in days that I don't cry, like the whole uh, other days of the year that would be helpful to, to share. And so I, I try to find things that I'm doing or things that I'm noticing or patterns that I'm seeing that I think would be helpful to share with others. If you could give one piece of advice to aspiring thought leaders out there about telling their stories, what would it be? Write what you're afraid about. How come? Those are the moments from my experience where I've really, what I thought I was afraid about, I realized was something different. So it was was therapeutic for me almost to really identify the root of the issue. And then if I am experiencing that issue, I know others are too. And so you help yourself and you help others by really writing what you're afraid about. How can people get in touch with you if they have any questions or want to talk more about this with you? I think LinkedIn, because nobody ever writes me. So I'd love LinkedIn messages if you connect with me on that. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but those are probably the best avenues. LinkedIn's probably the better one because I ignore Facebook a lot. So go with LinkedIn. We all do, I think, to some degree. It's there, but we're not happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it, Bree. And For everybody else listening, if you have questions, concerns, grievances, you know, I'm not a big fan of carrier pigeons, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Naptown Pints. You can also just email me, lmurphy at impactbnd.com. And of course, I think I mentioned this earlier, my love language is tell me I'm pretty, give me positive attention. I love it. I love it more than being right, which is not something I ever thought I would say. So... Get thee to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever it is and tell people how much you like the content lab. Not only do you make me feel better about me, which is awesome, you also actually help people find this podcast, which is really important if I want new people to hear all these amazing stories from people like me. But otherwise, until next week.